Morning Church. Good morning. This is our third service this weekend, and I just want to greet all of you who are watching online, which is practically all of you uh, watching online today. I know some of you were really excited to come to physical service this weekend. You got your Eventbrite ticket, you knew where you wanted to sit, uh, and then you heard the message. You heard the announcement that we're not continuing with our physical services this weekend, and you were gutted. But here's my encouragement to you. We've said this often, we'll say it again, we may be distanced, but we are not disconnected. We may be far apart physically. Some of you may be in Jaras and the other group of people may be somewhere across the other half of the world, but we may be distanced, but we are not disconnected. Our hearts and our love for one another will continue to bind us together. Amen. I remember when Paul was writing the letter to the Philippian church, he starts off with this. He says, every time I think of you, my heart is full of joy. I, I, I feel so much joy. And, and you may be very far away. I'm in prison in Rome, and, and you may be in some other city in, in, in this whole region uh, of Philippi, but, and, and you're weeks away. I mean, there was no live stream. But he says, every time I think of you, I feel with so much joy. And, and I, I have a right to feel that way because we are all fellowshipping in the grace that God has for us. And that's my paraphrase of Philippians 1. But you sense the emotion and you sense the joy. Even though we're far apart, we're always connected. We're always connected. So wherever you are at right now, just go light up the chat room and say, I am from Charas or I am from the United States. We may be distanced, but I'm connected today. I'm connected this morning, and I just want to encourage you to just stay connected. Stay connected with your uh, cell group. Stay connected with people of, the, of, of faith together with you in this community. Amen. Amen. Today, church, we're going to look at Zechariah chapter 1. And if you've not seen the overviews uh, last week um, and the one that Pastor Isaac has been doing, Lord I, Lord, I pray that we will all see it. But I encourage you, watch those overviews. Get a good, firm handle on Zechariah before we go through every single chapter. Now, church, I'm going to read from Zechariah chapter 1. And this is uh, something that I want to do today specifically because I want to encourage us to look at the Word of God word for word. Uh, and so I want to encourage you right now to just take out your physical Bibles or if you're reading them on your handphone, uh, take them out on your iPad, whatever gadget that you use these days, um, and just go to Zechariah chapter 1 uh, and let us all read this together. Zechariah chapter 1, I'm reading from the ESV, and we want to just have a good look at the Word of God before we start digging into it. Zechariah chapter 1. In the eighth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, son of Edo, saying, The Lord was very angry with your fathers. Therefore, say to them, say to them, Thus declares the Lord of hosts, Return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Do not be like your fathers, to whom the former prophets cried out, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Return from your evil ways and from your evil deeds. But they did not hear or pay attention to me, declares the Lord. Your fathers, where are they? And the prophets, do they live forever? But my words and my statutes, which I commanded my servants, the prophets, did they not overtake your fathers? So they repented and said, as the Lord of hosts purposed to deal with us and for our ways and deeds, so has he dealt with us. On the 24th day 
of the 11th month, which is the month of Shabbat. In the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, son of Edo, saying, I saw in the night, and behold, a man riding on a red horse. He was standing among the myrtle trees in the glen, and behind him were red, sorrel, and white horses. Then I said, What are these, my Lord? The angel who talked with me said to me, I will show you what they are. So the man who was standing among the myrtle trees answered, These are they whom the Lord has sent to patrol the earth. And they answered the angel of the Lord who was standing among the myrtle trees and said, We have patrolled the earth, and behold, all the earth remains at rest. Then the angel of the Lord said, O Lord of hosts, how long will you have no mercy on Jerusalem and the cities of Judah against which you have been angry these 70 years? And the Lord answered gracious and comforting words to the angel who talked with me. So the angel who talked with me said, Cry out. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I am exceedingly jealous for Jerusalem and for Zion. And I am exceedingly angry with the nations that are at ease. For while I was angry but a little, they furthered the disaster. Therefore, thus says the Lord, I have returned to Jerusalem with mercy. My house shall be built in it, declares the Lord of hosts, and the measuring line shall be stretched out over Jerusalem. Cry out again. Thus says the Lord of hosts, my cities shall again overflow with prosperity, and the Lord will again comfort Zion and again choose Jerusalem. And I lifted my eyes and saw, and behold, four horns. And I said to the angel who talked with me, what are these? And, the angels, and he said to me, These are the horns that have scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. Then the Lord showed me four craftsmen. And I said, What are these coming to do? He said, These are the horns that scattered Judah, so that no one raised his head. And these have come to terrify them, to cast down the horns of the nations who lifted up their horns against the land of Judah to scatter it. Zechariah 1 has three portions, and, and I've coined them with three words. And the three words are return, restore, and remove. Return in the first portion because the encapsulating phrase for the whole of Zechariah is the call of God, return to me and I will return to you. Return to me and I will return to you. Second one is restore, the first vision where God says He will restore Jerusalem. And the second uh, vision is the word remove, where God casts down the nations and the powers that have scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. But before I look into chapter 1 of Zechariah, I want to answer a little question that I've always asked myself whenever I read the prophetic books or even revelations. Um, and you may have asked that question yourself. Why does God speak in dreams and visions? I mean, why not just say it in words, write it down, tell it to me, and there you go, I have it. Why speak in dreams and visions? Why give all these eye-catching, bizarre, very abstract symbols and images whenever I read the scripture just to tell me something that now makes it not so easy for me to understand immediately? Because if you're like me and you read the prophets or, or, or revelations, a lot of times the, these images are not so easily understood, much less understood immediately. And so oftentimes when, I, when I'm just doing my Bible reading, my head just 
this, my mind just disengages, right? It just zips over my head and, and I just read on, read on, read on without really processing it. So here are my three answers uh, to why God speaks in dreams and visions. And I hope that as you understand this, it will excite you more when you, we look into the book of Zechariah and all the visions and the dreams and all the different prophetic books and revelations and whatever else is in Scripture. And you, you get excited when you say, this is why God speaks in dreams and visions. Reason number one, it's all in the visual, what you see. You see, it captures your attention. These images capture your attention. It makes you remember. The visuals don't just capture your attention. It actually makes you respond. It engages you. It engages you respond. That's why people do movies and films. For example, you think of Joseph and his, uh, and his dream, right? The sun, the moon, and 11 stars. Now, Joseph didn't tell his brothers and his father, um, Dad, brothers, you know, um, God told me you're going to bow down to me. No, he didn't say that. He said this, I dreamt that the sun and the moon and one, two, three, four, five, 11 stars bowed down to me. Like 11, not 12, not 13, 11 stars. Like he knew who he was talking about and they knew. And then when the brothers eventually did bow down to Joseph, the Bible tells us that when that happened, Joseph remembered the dreams. Right? It causes you to remember. You, you actually engage with the visuals. Think about the other one. Again, in Joseph's time, Pharaoh sees this dream of seven thin cows eating seven fat cows. All right? Like real fat. Okay? So seven ugly, scrawny cows eating seven fat cows. And, and what's, what's, what makes it even more interesting is that after the seven scrawny cows ate the seven fat cows, the seven scrawny cows remained as ugly as ever. So no change. And then when Joseph delivers his interpretation of the dream, he says, you're going to have one or seven years of abundance. And that one year of abundance compared to seven years, that one year of famine, you're going to see that famine so severe, you will never remember the year of abundance. And so the visuals make people like Pharaoh, make even the, the whole Egyptian nation remember this is what's going to happen. That we, we remember that seven ugly, scrawny cows and those seven ugly, scrawny cows remain ugly and scrawny because we would never remember the year of abundance. So startling. How to forget? First reason, it's all in the visuals. It goes beyond your imagination and it helps you remember. Second reason, there are times when it helps us to see in the spiritual realm. Now, we see what we can see with our physical senses. Right? But we always know that our physical senses are limited. There is a realm that we do not necessarily always recognize and, and are aware of, which is what we call the spiritual realm. And there are times when we are so surrounded by all the difficulties and, the, and overcome by the things that we see in the physical that we miss out on what God is doing in the supernatural, in the spiritual. Case in point, Jacob. Jacob running away from his brother, running away from his home, going to his mother's hometown because he fooled his father and now he's stolen his brother's birthright. And so he's cheated his brother of his birthright. He's taken the father's blessing and now he's on the run. He's on the run between his home and his mother's hometown and it's wilderness. It, this is Esau's playground. This is not Jacob's comfort zone. And so while in that fear and in all that surrounding, he lies down one night Takes, his, takes a stone as a pillow, and, and, and I tell this to my kids, right? Your pillow, very nice, all right? Just look at Jacob's pillow. One hard rock, all right? So he lies down on this pillow in the middle of the desert, 
And then at night, God gives him a vision. God lets him see this ladder and angels ascending and descending from this ladder from earth to heaven. And then God standing at the top of that ladder, declaring who he is, declaring his promises and his covenant with Jacob. And when all of that is done and he wakes up out of that vision, he realizes, not that he has seen a vision, but he says this, surely, confirm, the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. I did not sense it. I did not see it. And so he sets up the stone pillow as an altar, pours oil on it, and declares this region the house of God. In the natural, desert, wilderness. But in the spiritual, the house of God. Not only is it individuals, individuals, not only is it in being able to see the spiritual, but the third one, and I think the most important is this, God wants to give us a message and helps us to see things with His perspective. And sometimes it takes a vision or a dream to do that. Case in point, Peter, in the middle of the day, praying on the top of a, of, of a house, and then God gives him a vision of unclean animals coming down to him from heaven in a white cloth. And, and as it's coming down, God says, kill and eat. And then Peter is doing this, no, I'll never do this, being the Jew that he is, right? I'll never touch an unclean animal. And this correspondence goes back and forth a couple of times. And then after that, that vision disappears. But you know in the story that that vision took place because God was going to give Peter a new perspective. It is this, my gospel will not remain amongst your people. It will go to the Gentiles. And so I'm, I'm, doing, I'm doing this with you now so that you get to see what I'm trying to do. You're going to see that this gospel is going to go to people who eat your unclean animals, the people whom you touch and you consider yourself unclean. And this gospel will not be limited to your people, it will go to them. And Peter responded almost quite immediately when he went to the house of Cornelius. And so this is what God is doing. It's individuals, it's helping you to see beyond the physical into the spiritual and it also gives you new perspective as to what He wants you to do, as to what His purpose and plans are. With that, we come to Zechariah chapter 1. And the first word, return. Return. Zechariah chapter 1, verse 3. Therefore, say to them, Thus declares the Lord of hosts, Return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Return from what? The exiles that have gone back to Jerusalem know this. It's our forefathers who, when the prophets told them, return from your evil ways and your evil deeds, they did not obey. They did not appreciate that. They did not hear that and pay attention to the Lord. And so now, when the Lord says, return to me, it's the same. Return from your evil ways and your evil deeds. Come back to me. Come back to me. Did Israel return? Did they return on the spot? Did it take them another, how many years did they do that? Zechariah doesn't really say but the question today for us is this. Will you return? Will you return to the Lord? Because the Lord is calling you. Return to me and I will return to you. That's His promise. You know, every time I read this, this phrase, I'm reminded of my youngest daughter. She's just learning to walk now and, and, and it's really exciting. So I, you know, I place her somewhere and then I put her down on the floor. She gets up and then she starts wobbling towards me because we all know this. She wants me to carry her, right? And I've walked away and so then I see her walking, returning to me. And, and, and when I'm in full dad mode, 
I'm running to her or I'm walking to her with outstretched arms forward. I'm going to come and carry you. Don't worry. And so she's coming to me. I'm going to her. I pick her up. And then there's just so much happiness and joy. You know, I, she, she likes that daddy is carrying her. I like the fact that she's happy. And so there's just so much joy that is shared, right? And, and that's what I remember when he says, return to me and I will return to you. But remember the story of the prodigal son who realizes what a mess he's in and he walks back to his father and he doesn't look at his father as, and say, I'm going to be your son once again. Don't worry about it. No, he says, I don't even deserve to be your son. But his father, seeing the son returning, runs out, runs out to him, embraces him. And, and not just does he do that, he, he gives him sonship, he gives him identity, he gives him authority once again. And, and, and that's just the picture of, of God saying, return to me and I will return to you. And that's what God is saying. That's God's promise. Only question is this. The exiles that have returned to Jerusalem may have asked themselves this question. Can I really trust God? Is God really who He says He is and He will do what He says He will do? How am I sure? How do I know that God's not just giving us lip service? And I know it may sound blasphemous to say that about God, but I think there was some genuine wondering because my forefathers did some really bad things. I don't know if God's ever going to come back. And so God then gives Zechariah a series of visions for which we will look at the first two. And the first two, first one is this, the word restore. The word restore. Four things he sees in this vision. First of all, he sees a man on a red horse. All right? That in itself is surprising enough for him to put an exclamation mark after that, um, but I've not seen a red horse myself, right? So he sees a man on a red horse, and, and then he identifies this man on a red horse as an angel of the Lord. Well, here's one thing to note. When, when the word angel of the Lord is referred to in Scripture, it is a description of the Lord Himself. I'll give you an example. In Exodus chapter 3, Moses corresponds with the Lord at the burning bush, right? So he goes there. He knows he's corresponding with the Lord. He takes off his sandals because it's holy ground. But Exodus chapter 3 verse 2 says, the angel of the Lord appeared to Moses in a fiery or burning bush, right? So we know this. An angel of the Lord is a description of the Lord himself. And it's not just Moses. It repeats itself in, in the story of Gideon's life and the story of Samson's parents' life. And, and it's basically this. They were corresponding with somebody they thought was an angel. And then they realized that it was the angel of the Lord. And when they realized it was the angel of the Lord, they fell face down and they said, like this, I'm going to die because I have seen the Lord myself. I have seen the Lord face to face. And in Gideon's case, the Lord then reassures him and says, peace be to you. You're not going to die. Don't worry. Right? Because they've seen the Lord. The angel of the Lord is a description of the Lord himself. And so, besides the angel of the Lord, Zechariah also sees other horses, right? Red, sorrel, white horses. And presumably, there were riders on them. Because these riders then report to the angel of the Lord and said, we have patrolled the earth and behold, the whole earth is at rest. That sounds like a good thing until you see what the angel of the Lord says subsequently when he says, Oh, Lord of hosts, how long more? How long will you have no mercy on Jerusalem and Judah? Because 70 years are up, and so how long more? And so here's, here's something to take note. While the earth was at rest, Jerusalem was oppressed. Jerusalem was not at rest. And Jerusalem, being the, in the state that it was, with all the nations surrounding it, and, and not treating them nicely, 
right? Jerusalem was not at rest. They were oppressed. And here it was, the angel of the Lord crying out to the Lord of hosts, how long more? And then the Lord speaks gracious and comforting words to the angel, not the angel of the Lord, but the angel that was speaking to Zechariah. And then the angel then tells Zechariah these words. The Lord answered gracious and comforting words to the angel who talked with me. And then the angel said to me, cry out. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I am exceedingly jealous. Underline that, highlight it. I am exceedingly jealous for Jerusalem and for Zion. And I'm exceedingly angry with the nations that are at ease. Exceedingly angry with the nations that are at ease. For while I was angry with them for a little, they furthered the disaster. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Therefore, thus says the Lord, I have returned to Jerusalem with mercy. My house shall be built in it, declares the Lord of hosts, and the measuring line shall be stretched out. And the measuring line is talking about the expansion and the rebuilding of Jerusalem. You can see that in Jer uh, Jeremiah chapter 31, right? The measuring line shall be stretched out over Jerusalem. Cry out again. Cry out again. Thus says the Lord of hosts, my cities shall again overflow with prosperity, and the Lord will again comfort Zion and again choose Jerusalem. Two very important things to take from this vision. And the first one is this. Our God is a jealous God. Say jealous. Right? Our God is a jealous God. Jealousy often gets a bad rap these days, right? It's not nice to be jealous, right? But it comes with context. When you've created something and you call it your own and you love it and you tend to it and you let it grow and you let it be the best that it can be and then somebody comes and takes it away or destroys it and you've, you've lost it, there is a sense of anger that burns within you and that is jealousy and that is good jealousy because that is, that is because you're defending something that you love. And it may not necessarily just be God and Israel, it's my kids with their toys, right? They've built something up and they're proud of it. And here comes little sister and she tears everything down and there's this anger, right? This is daddy, look at what she's done. And there's that jealousy because this is something that I've created. This is something I love and I'm so proud of. And now somebody has taken it away from me. Or remember Liam Neeson's character in Taken, Taken 2, Taken 3, where he says, you know, if you've taken my daughter, I will look for you and I will find you and I will kill you. That kind of anger, that kind of jealousy because he loves his daughter. And so there's that jealousy that God has for Israel and that's who God is. God is a jealous God. He made a covenant years ago with Israel saying, you will be my people and I will be your God and so while I was angry with you that you broke covenant with me, I, you will always be mine. You will always be mine. So no matter what happens, no matter what you do, I will not forsake you. I will restore you. I will redeem you. I'm not the guy who says, uh, okay, la, you leave me, leave me. La. Whatever will be, will be. La. No. I'm not the guy who also imprisons you and forces you to love me. I will pursue you. I will woo you. And even when you walk away from me, I will send my prophets to call you to come back to me. Come back to me. Because when you return to me, I will return to you. You may have angered me, but I will call you back. And I will say, come home, child. Come home, son. Come home, my people. Friends, our God is jealous for us. 
the people of God, the church, all of us individually. Our God is jealous for us. He made a covenant of love with us. That's what we, we recognize with the blood of Jesus Christ, the new covenant in His blood. He made that covenant with us and He is jealous for us. He chose us. He calls us His own. He calls us His own. So come hell or high water, His love is there for us. And there may be times when we've walked away, we've sinned and we say, look, forget this God. And God may have sent prophets and they don't look like Jeremiah or Hosea, but they look like our parents, our pastors, our friends saying, come back to God, come back to God. When you do, He will return to you. Come home, daughter. Come home, son. Come home, my beloved. And if you return to me, I will return to you. I will restore you. I will give you a hope and a future. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will bless you. Our God is a jealous God. And it is His love that is so strong and so powerful that draws Him and drives Him to say, I will, I will be with you. I want to call you back to me. And I love you. That's the first one. Our God is a jealous God. And second is we have an advocate. An advocate. Notice who's asking how long more. It's not a prophet. It's not a human being. It's the angel of the Lord. It's the angel of the Lord who's saying this. And because of the angel of the Lord's cry, the Lord answers. You know, there is an advocate, a mediator before the throne of the Lord of hosts who fights for us, who intercedes for us. He calls upon the Lord in this case and he says, this was your will to restore, to call back, to revive. So Lord of hosts, how long more? We know the prophecy is 70 years. 70 years is up. So this is not a genuine request for time, like, you know, a few more minutes, is it? No. This was rhetorical. This was, do it now, Lord. Do it now, Lord of hosts. And the Lord answers. And the Lord answers and says, I will do this. Cry out, declares the Lord of hosts. I will build my house. I will rebuild. I will expand Jerusalem. My cities will flow with prosperity. I will choose Jerusalem and I'll choose Zion. Today, we know that that advocate, that mediator is Jesus Christ. The people of God today, we know that because of what Jesus has done on the cross, He can go to the Father and say, these guys are made righteous because of me, are made righteous by my blood. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 and 2 says this, John telling the people, my little children, I am writing to you these things so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Our advocate, Jesus Christ. That's who He is. You see, you notice that there's nothing in this vision that refers to any action on the part of human beings to return to God. It's God's plan and purpose. His will prevails. And yet, there are times when there's participation of mankind in, in what He has willed. And, and to some extent, that's a mystery. But here's the thing that Zechariah chapter 1, this first vision tells us, that beyond the call for us to return to Him, God was already setting His plan in motion. And so He's telling the Jews that time, I am jealous for you and I am in your advocate. Trust me, when you return to me, I will return to you. Second vision is the word remove. 
removed. And this is the vision where Zechariah sees these four horns. And, and there are many people who have said what these four horns represent, whether the Babylonians, Assyrians, the Medes and the Persians, Rome, um, whatever it is, the four craftsmen are a picture of God saying, all these powers that try and tear my people apart, I will cast them down. I will cast them down. Today, the people or the powers that tear the people of God apart may not be nations, may not be kings, physical kings and physical nations. It, it may be COVID. It may be sicknesses and the temptation to sin that tear us apart and tear these people apart. Maybe disunity. It may be things. It will be things that the devil tries to do against us. Because we know this. The devil tries to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Who? His people. And it is God who says, I have come. It's Jesus who says, I have come and I have given you life and life abundantly. Here's the thing. I said earlier that visions and dreams help us to see what is going on in the spiritual realm, what is going on beyond the physical. It gives us new lenses to see the reality of what is going on. And what is really going on is this is what the devil is trying to do, to tear his people apart, to tear ourselves away from the Father, to tempt us to cause illness and sickness and to draw us away, to cause us to to, 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 to have greed and idolatry and to look at things away from the Lord, to, to bring us into circumstances where we're so caught up with the physical that we forget the power of God in the spiritual. But we have a craftsman who happens to also be a carpenter, a, a real craftsman, and his name is Jesus Christ, who didn't just become a carpenter, he came and hung on the cross so that all the power of the enemy is cast down. It doesn't matter what nation or what physical king or what illness or what virus, the power of, the, of, of Jesus Christ on the cross has cast down every power that tries to tear us apart. And that's why I prayed against fear, because fear is of the enemy. But the power of Jesus Christ on the cross has cast down fear. He threw those powers, terrified them when he hung on the cross, and then rose again. And because of who he is and what he has done for the past, the present, and the future, we have with us a firm stronghold against the enemy. I'm going to close with this. The most repeated phrase in Zechariah chapter 1 is the phrase, the Lord of hosts. And God is described in this chapter as the Lord of the host of armies, a host of armies that are invincible, that fight the Lord's battles in the spiritual because that's where the real battles are fought. And He is the Lord of hosts. And when, when these battles are fought, we see its fulfillment in the physical. And so I'm always reminded of the story of Elisha. You know, when Elisha and his servant, they, uh, his servant wakes up one morning and then he realizes as he looks out of his window, he says he sees the city surrounded by Syrian armies, and he's going, oh dear me, we are doomed. And he calls Elisha and says, we are doomed, we are doomed, the Syrian army is going to invade us. And then Elisha says, do not be afraid, do not be afraid, because those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Elisha's servant is confused until Elisha, until Elisha prays, oh Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. Remember, visions, dreams, enabling us to see the spiritual. And so he open, God opens his eyes and he sees the mountains 
are full of the chariots and the horses of the armies of Israel. And then he realizes that in, the, in reality, in true reality, the Lord of hosts is there for them. The Lord of hosts has an invincible army that will, that will come, that he commands and that will succeed and win the battle. So there in Zechariah, you have the Lord of hosts exceedingly jealous for his people. You have the Lord of hosts who has a love that is unquenchable and he seeks to restore his people and throw down the nations and throw down the powers that tear them apart. And that's just the beginning of the visions. But in our world today, in our lives today, we see the same Lord of hosts exceedingly jealous for his people exceedingly jealous with a love that is unquenchable. So you and I, God is jealous for you with a love that is unquenchable. And He seeks to restore us from our brokenness, from our sin, from our past, our baggage, our rebellion. Because He Himself, Jesus Christ, has thrown down the power that could destroy us when He hung on the cross and rose again. His name is Jesus Christ our advocate, our saviour. And that's just the beginning. As we go further into Zechariah, there will be more of God to see and know. Friends, I, I can't see your faces. But I know that the Lord is speaking. I know that the Holy Spirit is speaking through His Word into your lives right now. I don't know where you are at with God. Maybe you're in a state of rebellion against Him. Or there is indifference and you, or you've seen how the enemy has wrecked your health, your business, your marriage, your family, and your faith. Here's my encouragement to you. Our God is a jealous God. And He is a powerful God who has defeated the power of the enemy over your lives. So even as we worship God, can I just encourage you to just rise to your feet. Stand up. Raise your hands to Jesus and say, God, I'm coming back. I'm coming back. I'm coming back because I know that you are jealous for me. I know that you love me with a love unquenchable. I may have walked away from you, but today I am coming back. I may have turned my eyes from you and saw the difficulties and saw the troubles. Today, I want to fix my eyes on you, God. And I want to fix my eyes on you because you love me and you restore and you tear down the powers that will try and destroy me. Lord of hosts, God who is jealous for me and loves me so dearly, I come back. Lord, we want to declare. We declare your love over us, O Lord. We declare the jealous love of God over our lives because God is for us. Who can be against us? The Lord of hosts, an invincible army, greater than anything the enemy can throw at us. That's our God. Friends, if you're here right now and, and you, just, you need prayer, you want someone to pray for you, I just want to encourage you, click on that link that allows you to get into a, a time of prayer where our pastors and our leaders will pray for you and bless you. We want to see you encounter the love of God whether it is in your homes or whether you're watching this together with your families, wherever you are at, connect with us so that we get to connect with you and bless you and pray for you. Can I just pray for you as we close? Father, we want to thank you because of your love for us. 
you've shown it to the Jews, you've shown it to the returnees from exile. That you're a God who is jealous for us, you are our advocate, and you have all the power to tear down the enemy's strongholds in our lives. And so I bless each and every one of us right now. This week will be a week of victory in our lives. Victory over our hurts, victory over our situations and circumstances because we know that the love of God is powerful for us. And so Lord, I bless my brothers and sisters. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn His face towards you and give you His peace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's just praise God. Praise God. Yes, I know you're right there clapping your hands. Just do that. Just praise the Lord. God is good. God bless you. We look forward to seeing you next week, whether online, physically, whatever it is. Wait out, wait out for us. Stay connected with us. And we'll see you next week. God bless you.